You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible-teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of the life of David. We're calling Hills and Valleys. With this week's message, here's pastor to middle adults, Joe Cook. Well, good morning. Perhaps you notice we have a, a title for our sermon this morning, Giant Distractions. It's easy to get distracted, isn't it? And sometimes we can even be sources of distractions. I was that this earlier this week. You may not know this, but each Wednesday, pastoral staff, we all gather in here, and whoever is up to preach that week, we preach the sermon to the other guys on staff. And they have little pieces of paper, and they give us feedback on that. Well, this particular Wednesday, it was me, I was up, I came in with a great illustration. I was excited. It was really good. And even as it was coming out of my mouth, I was thinking, this isn't that good. (laughs) Well, and I get the feedback, and and one of my dear brothers, who loves me very much, put on there, I'm not real sure how it connected. I'm like, okay, I I agree with that. So I, I chewed on it for a little while. And the next day, I had three of the pastors in my office for a different reason. I said, hey, guys, I want to ask you a question. I'm thinking about acts in that beginning illustration, and all three heads in unison went. <laughs> Swing and a miss. Okay. So you've been spared that. Now, in all actuality, it really wasn't that bad. <laughs> it just took a long time to get there. You know, some distractions are harmless. Some distractions are deadly. You know, the CDC estimates that about eight people every single day are killed in an automobile accident. It's involving distracted driving. The hard numbers for 2018 were 2,800 people lost their lives because of distracted driving. And there were 400,000 injuries related to distracted driving. Distractions are, are dangerous, not just physically, Emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, all those things come into play. As believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, our goal is not to get distracted from placing our eyes on Him. We're called to be yoked with Him, to set our mind on things above. And, but the truth is, sometimes we get distracted from Him, don't we? I wonder, what distracts you from keeping your eyes on the Lord? Is it pleasure? Is it fun? Is it business? Working hard or just busyness. Maybe it's shame. You know, shame is that thing where all you can see before you is your own failures, your own guilt, your own sin, and you can't see anything else except the ugliness in the mirror. Maybe it's fear. Maybe there's something in your life that's yelling at you that you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you don't measure up. Those kind of words and those kind of taunts catch our attention. And we tend to focus on them, and if we're focused on them, then our eyes aren't where they're supposed to be. Today, in our lesson, we're going to be looking at a very familiar story. We're going to see a whole lot of distracted people, except for one. Our hero, the guy that we're studying, is David, the young shepherd. We're going to be looking at him, and we're going to see that he's not distracted when everybody else is. And as we look at this story, you know, you think David and Goliath, you think, well, I already know everything there is to know about that. It's an interesting story. Everyone knows the basics of the story of David and Goliath. People that have never set foot in a church 
have heard of David and Goliath. It's a metaphor in our culture. Sports analogies, uh, political analogies, anytime there's a little guy standing up against a big guy or a, a small team standing up against a big team, it's a David and Goliath scenario. Well, let's look at this, let's look at it with fresh eyes today. And let's ask ourselves a question. Is the giant, is the giant really the big issue in this story? Is the giant the danger? Is the giant really what we have to contend with? Or is the giant really just a giant distraction? So if you have your copy of Scripture, I'm going to invite you to open it to 1 Samuel chapter 17. As you make your way there, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles available in the back of the auditorium. We'd welcome you to take one of those. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can keep that. We'd like to make a gift of it to you. What we want to do right now is just set up the story. And again, it's pretty familiar to most of us, but the setting is Saul, the king of Israel, he's leading the armies of Israel against their traditional enemies who are the Philistines. And the setting is in this valley, the valley of Elah, and in those first few verses what we see is the Philistines are lined up over here and the Israelites are lined up over here and there's this valley in between and nobody wants to go down to chase the other ones because they would give up the high ground. It would be very dangerous. The year is about 1024. And the, and the battles there were very brutal. And so the idea of going down that hill, you knew you were going to die. To be the first one down that hill, you knew chances weren't good. So there's a standoff taking place. Well, the Philistines come up with an idea. Let's have a contest of champions. It's a good idea. It's kind of like a duel. It works out really well if you happen to have a, a giant in your army. Okay? Well, they happen to have a giant. His name is Goliath. Look at verse 4 with me. We'll look at a, a couple of the things it says about him. Verse 4, And there came from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Does anybody know what a cubit is? Well, it's kind of fuzzy. We don't have rulers that have cubits on it, right? It's roughly 18 inches, but scholars dispute that. So we estimate his size to be somewhere around 10 feet tall, and there's numbers on either side of that. And the rest of this, these next four or five verses, give us a lot of detail about his armor. And you have to ask the question when you're studying the Bible, when there's lots of detail in there, ask the question, Why all this detail? Why is it telling us how much his helmet and his spear and his sword weigh and all that? And if you convert that to our type of uh, measurements that we understand, this guy's carrying anywhere from 150 to 200 pounds of armor. Now, the average Israelite would have been about five foot six. There were some of the guys on that other side of the army of the Philistines that didn't weigh as much as this guy's armor. He's a big guy. He's a big guy. And he comes down and he has big words. Let's start and look at his big words in verse 8. He stood and he shouted at the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him... Then you, shall be, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Verse 10, And the Philistines said this, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. 
Wow. Big words, big guy. And you know what? Everyone on the side of Israel is looking at this guy, listening to this guy, and they have one thought in mind. He's big, and I'm small. Look at verse 11. When Saul and all Israel, and by the way, Saul's the king. We learned last week he's head and shoulders above everybody else. If there's anybody that should have made their way down the hill, it was the king. He was the biggest guy they had. So we read there, it says, Even Saul and all Israel, they heard these words, and notice, they're dismayed and they're greatly afraid. They're shaking in their boots. It's kind of how we would say it. They look, it's a big guy, I'm a little guy, I'm scared. You know what the mistake was they were making? The only thing they saw in their world right then was they were comparing themselves to the giant. That's the status. They're distracted by how big he is. That's all they can think about. That's the situation that we're, we're in. This has been going on for 40 days. Every morning, every night, this great big guy comes out and starts spouting these big words, and nobody walks down the hill. 40 days, twice a day. On the morning of the 40th, somebody else shows up, our shepherd. Shepherd David, he shows up. And what we read in verses 12 through 21 is kind of interesting. You remember what I said about when you come to the, a passage in the Bible and there's a whole lot of detail? Ask yourself, why is there so much detail here? When you read this, it tells us who his daddy is, tells us who some of his brothers are, tells us that he's been going back and forth from Saul and back to his father to tend the sheep. Last week we learned that, that David had been called out to play the harp for Saul when he was troubled in spirit. Well, he's been going back and forth. He's anointed king. We're five years later. Now think about that. Twelve-year-old, you have this prophet come and he pours oil on your head and says you're going to be the, the next king of Israel, but don't tell anybody. And what do you get to do for the next five years? Run errands. You play the harp, you go back and forth. It even tells us what he brought to his brothers. It tells us he brought parched grain, brought bread. And then it tells us he brought ten cheeses for the chief of a thousand. He's a cheese delivery boy on this particular day. He's the anointed king of Israel, and he's delivering cheese. I wonder how he felt about that on that particular day. Look at verse 22. This is when he shows up. He shows up on day 40 of the taunting that's going on this morning's tongue lashing. Verse 22, And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, and he ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines, and he spoke the same words as he had spoken before. Something different today. And David heard the words. Look at verse 24. All, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled, from, they fled from him and were much afraid. Verse 25. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house, make his father's house free. In other words, they don't have to pay taxes. So for 40 days, Saul's been trying to get somebody to go down the mountain and fight this giant. Nobody's taking him up on it. You don't have to pay any more taxes. You get to be in the royal family, and we're going to make you rich, and, and nobody's budging. Nobody's moved. David can't believe it. He said, really? To take away the reproach of Israel? That, that's what you get to do? 
Look at verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills a Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? He's like, you mean we get to kill him and we get rich? Is that really, is that the, is that the deal? Now look at what he goes on to say. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? We're 26 verses into this chapter and he's the first person who's brought God up. He's the first person that's looked out on the field of battle and he's seen it differently than everybody else. Everybody else saw a giant compared to themselves. David looks out and he sees an uncircumcised Philistine and the reason that keeps being emphasized throughout the passage, this is a man outside the covenant. This is a man who is not following Yahweh. And this is a man who's defying not just the Israelites, but he's defying God. David sees differently, and David hears differently. And everybody's a little astonished at David, even those closest to him. You remember who he's bringing the food to? He's bringing the food to his brother, Eliab, the oldest. And when Eliab hears that his brother's asking all these questions, and there had to have been something in the tone of David's voice, because his brother comes up in, in these verses uh, 28 and 30, and he accuses David of having an evil heart. He says, Why are you, what are you mouthing out? What did you do with all those sheep? Where, what are you doing here? Can you hear a big brother doing that? It, it kind of makes sense. And David is being criticized by his older brother for asking questions. But I wonder if there's something else going on with Eliab. One commentator wrote this, Eliab's anger is the anger of a man who feels small because of the Israelites' army inability to deal with Goliath. He particularly resents looking small in the eyes of his young brother, and look in brackets, whom Samuel had anointed king-elect instead of himself. Here's the principle as we walk through this. We want to think about our giants. We mentioned a few of those earlier. Sometimes complicated relationships will try to distract you from focusing on where you're supposed to. Eliab says to his brother, he says, you've got a wicked heart. Why are you asking all these questions? What's David going to do? Is he going to turn inward and focus on shame? Or is he going to push forward and see this situation the way he initially seen it? Well, David is undaunted. And what we see here is word gets to the king. The king hears, hey, there's somebody out here who's talking like maybe they'll actually go down the hill. He's like, well, I need to see that guy. Look at verse 31. In verse 31 we read, And when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, now I love this verse, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go up against this Philistine and fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. King shows up in the scenario that we're looking at, and the king looks at David, and he looks at the giant, and he said, mm -mm, you, you can't do this. You're, you're too little. There, there's no way this is going to work for you. And so the king is doing the same thing everyone else is doing. He's looking with the eyes of men. And remember what I said, we want to apply this to our lives. Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Everyone 
on this in this army is looking at the giant, comparing him to himself. David's the only person that showed up and has compared the giant to his God. He's the only one that's doing that. Look at verse 34 with me. Verse 34 we read, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, and they took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose and and arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For, notice, he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Now let's stop there. You know what David's doing? He's got his brother criticizing him. He's got the leader of the nation criticizing him, saying, you can't do this. You know what David does? He starts playing the tapes. Has God ever delivered me before? Has God ever protected me in a situation that I really shouldn't have been able to handle before? He starts recounting God's faithfulness. That's an important thing for us to to remember when we face our giants. When has God been faithful before? And so he thought about the lion, he thought thought about the bear, and they had great big paws. And he looks at this giant, he's got great big hands, and he said, but you know, God delivered me from that bear and that lion, but he can deliver me from this giant too. And so David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And notice this last part. The the king says, go, and the Lord be with you. I mean, after 40 days, I think he finally decided, okay, at least we got somebody that's ready to go. Let's, let's let the little, little guy go down the, down the hill and fight the giant. But the king's going to give him some advice on giant fighting. You ever notice there's always people ready to give you advice on how to deal with the issues in your world? Well, here's the leader of the nation. He's going to give David some advice. Look at verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, And he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones of the brook, and he put them in his shepherd's pouch, and his sling is in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. He approached the Philistine. David's response is, you know what? I can't do this the way you're telling me to do this. I've got to do this the way the Lord has worked in my life before. Saul's given him worldly advice. That guy has armor. You have to have armor. That's kind of the way the world works. You fight fire with fire, right? If they're big and loud, you need to be bigger and louder, right? That's how your giants work in your life. They tell you you're not enough. They tell you you can't make it. Can you see them? Can you see your giants? Can you hear them and what they say to you? I want to give you a verse of Scripture. It's Psalm 20, verse 7. I didn't get it in your notes, so write it down. Psalm 20, verse 7. I've been meditating on this one for a week or two now, and it has helped me greatly. It says this, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. It's a pretty simple verse, easy to memorize. 
Do you know what David's saying? By the way, that's a psalm of David. I'm not sure the period of time that he wrote it. But we know what he's saying. He's saying the same thing he's doing here with King Saul. Saul says, trust in armor, trust in swords. And David's saying, no, I'm not going to trust in armor. I'm not going to trust in chariots. Horses represent natural strength. I'm not going to trust in natural strength. I'm going to trust in the Lord my God. David's the only person not distracted by how big this guy is. David's the only person not distracted by how small he is himself. So David says, nope, not going to do it that way. So now we get to the battle. Now, I don't know if you were ever in a schoolyard fight. I had a few scuffles in my day, and I never was in one, and I never witnessed one where there wasn't some fighting words involved in that. And you're getting a little bit of back and forth, right? I'm going to say this about you, you're going to say this about me, and we're going to fight with words first. So let's see how this battle begins by looking at verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward, and he came near to David with the shield bearer in front of him. By the way, that doesn't sound fair. There's two guys down there. Anyway, verse 42. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a ruddy youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the fields. This giant is just like everybody else on the field. He sees a little bitty guy coming up to fight him, and he looks at him, and he kind of looks a little closer, and he says, he's too pretty to fight me. He's not a warrior. I'm going to crush this guy. I'm going to stomp him. In fact... When I'm done, I'm going to feed him to the birds of the air and the beast of the field. David's not going to be outdone. He's going to come back with some words. Now, this is just like a schoolyard fight, except some, no one in this, in this passage says your mama. Okay? <laughs> but they are going at it with the words. Look at verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear, with a javelin, but I... I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword, not with spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. Them's fighting words. <laughs> David sees something that no one else has seen. Did you catch the part up there where it says the Philistine, he cursed David by his God? That's verse 43. David's the only one in this nation of Israel that has heard the words of the giant and remembered something. You know what he remembered? He remembered the Word of God. He remembered the promise that God made to the, to the patriarch Abraham. Maybe you remember these words in Genesis 12 that God said to Abraham, and he said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. What did that giant just do? He cursed the descendants of Abraham. David heard those words, and he's like, this guy's toast. 
He's just picked a fight with the living God, the King of the universe. We've always heard this is an underdog story, little guy against a big guy, and it is. But guess who the little guy is? It's the giant. David looks out and he sees a puny little giant who's dumb enough to pick a fight with the living God. That's what David sees because he's setting his eyes on God. Well, I wish I could tell you that we're about to see a real exciting fight. I don't know if you like boxing or any of the the types of sports where there's fighting involved. And when you buy a ticket and you show up, you're usually not wanting it to end in the first round, right? You kind of want to see a little bit going on. Well, I'm going to, spoiler alert, this one's not going to go very many rounds. Look at verse 48. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, on the run, by the way, put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine in the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. David prevailed, verse 50, over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. And that was the end of the fight. David didn't have a sword, so he used the the giant sword to kind of finish the job. And then all of Israel suddenly is a little bit braver. They're like, oh, giant's dead. So they run down the hill, and the Philistines are terrified. And a great victory is won that day by the, by the nation of Israel. And, and it was, it's one of the high points of David's life for sure. It's one of those points, those defining moments in your life. But what was the pivotal point in this story? Was it when the giant fell at his feet? Was that really the challenge that day? I don't think the challenge that day was who's big enough to beat up a giant. The challenge that day was who will believe in the Lord God. The promise that God backed up with David, he would have backed up with any one of those people of Israel. God on that day was not asking who's brave enough to go down there and fight a giant. God was asking who will trust me. And that's the question that he's been asking from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture. It's the challenge that you and I are asked each and every day. So what do we do with this story? How do we apply it to our lives? Some people would take this story and they would say, if you have enough faith, then all your giants will fall at your feet. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've heard that on TV. Is that really the lesson that we can draw from this? If we just have enough faith, all our giants will fall. It's a natural question. It's a normal question. It's one that I've asked when I looked at this story. But is that really the right question? So on the bottom of your outline that I've given you there, there's three questions we're going to interact with. The first one is, is this my giant to fight? The second one we're going to look at is, how do I fight this giant? And then we're going to get to the question of, is this my giant to fight? I mean, is, will all my giants fall if I have enough faith? That's the last one. So let's begin with the first one. Is this my giant to fight? Have you noticed there's a lot of giants in the world? And now we're not talking about great big tall guys. We're talking about the metaphorical giants. We're talking about grief. We're talking about loss. We're talking about financial problems. We're talking about health issues talking about relational issues. Have you noticed there's a lot of giants in the land? A lot of giants in our culture? You can't fight them all. 
David didn't fight them all. Some commentators make a point of the, it's time where David reaches down into the creek and he gets five stones. Well, there's only one giant that if you think is going to take him a few more shots, well, come to find out in the rest of Scripture that, that Goliath had four brothers. So some people think that this David, you know, he's, he's a little, he's sparky. You know, he's going to get after there. He's plucky. He's going to fight. Maybe he's going to go after them all. So he has five, five stones. But David only kills one giant. Those other four giants, somebody else kills them. We see later in Scripture that those giants fall. We need to remember that not all the giants in our world are our giants to fight. So how do we know? I thought of this passage in 2 Timothy. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. When you're in an army, and as a believer in Christ, you are in a sense in an army, but it's a different type of army, but there's one thing that's in common. We all take our orders from the top. David had some information on that morning when he showed up delivering cheese. <laughs> he was on a cheese delivery. He wasn't out giant hunting. Do you, do you recognize that? He's not out trying to slay all the giants. He's just doing an errand. But he gets there, and he is the anointed future king of Israel. He gets there. Nobody else is dealing with this giant. He gets there. He hears the giant is defying not just a group of Israelites, but the Lord God. And he knows Scripture. David meditates on Scripture. The songs that he sings to, to Saul when he's playing the harp, he's meditating on those himself as he writes those, as he thinks through those. David has a heart after God, and he has his eyes on God. And so he looks on the battlefield, and he says, yeah, this is my giant to fight. But not all the giants were his to fight. And not all the giants are ours to fight. The first thing that we do is we confer with our commander-in-chief. I know you've got a lot of giants in your life, and you'd like to see all of them fall. I would like to see mine fall too. The first thing we do is we pray. That's the first thing we do. The next thing we do is we go to the Word, and we keep praying. And we add that layer upon layer. And we ask the Lord to lead us to know who are our giants. Which giants do we come against? Which giants do we fight? Now, once you have a giant to fight, and you won't have to look long, the next question to ask is, how do I fight this giant? Because remember, ours aren't the real giants that are just you know really tall guys with big swords. We're talking about metaphorical giants, so a, a, a sling and a stone, that's not really what we need, is it? We need, we need something else. So think about this passage of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 10, we read, For though we walk in the flesh, we, not, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We don't fight the way the world does. Remember how Saul told David how to fight? You ha he has a helmet, you need a helmet. He has a sword, you need a sword. When we think about the giants that we have to fight, we have to realize we're, we're called to fight differently. As I was processing this, I thought about the giants in our culture. I was asked this question recently. I was asked, how do we fight the giants in our culture? How do we deal with the issues that are going on in our land? And all of you know what they are. You're weary from them, just as I am. How do we fight them? Well, what is a culture? A culture is made up of the thinking and the actions of people. There's only one thing that changes people, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the only message known to mankind that can change the world. So how do we change the culture? 
we change it one person at a time, presenting the gospel to them, loving them, sacrificially serving them, loving our enemies, praying for those who persecute us. Doesn't sound like natural warfare, does it? Counterintuitive. We have a different way of going after the cultural giants that we face. The giants of fear, the giants of health, all those things. The first thing that we do is we come to the Lord and we ask the Lord, how do I fight this? And the first step, the first lesson is to set our eyes on the Lord. To set our eyes on the Lord. I'm going to ask you to turn one place in Scripture. I'm going to ask you to go to Hebrews chapter 11. This is sometimes called the Hall of Fame, the Faith Hall of Fame. In this passage, we have a a long list there of different heroes of the faith. And if we're going to address this last question, if we have enough faith, will all of our giants fall? Well, this would be a pretty good place to go to find out, wouldn't it? So let's begin in chapter 11 of Hebrews and look at verse 32. We read, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, there's our guy, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, there's our word, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and made strong out of, were made strong out of weakness and became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. I like that list. That list, if we just stop there, that tells me if I have enough faith, all those things happen. The chapter's not over. Glance down at verse 36. Others. Now, these others are other people of faith. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonments. They were stoned and they were sawn in two and they were killed with a sword and they went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Wow. That doesn't sound like a kind of list I want. And those are people of faith too. Here's what we learn from Scripture. Strong faith, like David's great faith, doesn't always equal dead giants. It just doesn't. I had a good friend who lived his whole life in a wheelchair. And he had some family members that were of the persuasion that if you have enough faith, you can do anything, that all your giants will fall. And they told him if he had enough faith, he would just get up out of that wheelchair and walk. But that's not what we see in Scripture. Sometimes saints fall at the feet of giants. We have martyrs that are discussed there. All our giants aren't going to fall. So, what is the lesson? What are we to learn from David and Goliath? It's an exciting story. I like an action story. But what do we draw from it? What do we learn from it? If we're not being promised that every time we have faith, our giants will fall, what do we take? What do we learn from this? As I think through it, and I think about David, when did he win his victory? He won his victory when he believed in God. What was the big question on the battlefield? Will anybody believe me? Will anybody trust my word? And David said, I will. Whether the giant fell or David fell, David won. We are called to live by faith. We learned that in Habakkuk. The just shall live by faith. How was Abraham saved? He was saved by his faith. How are we saved in the New Testament? We're saved by faith. 
Our giants may fall, and they may not. Now, I've read the end of the book. Eventually, they all fall. That's, the, that's good news, right? But in this life, all your giants may not fall. I've seen some of mine fall, and some of them are, are still standing out there yelling things at me. But here's what happens. When I focus on my giants, and I have some, when I set my mind on them and I listen to what they're saying and I look at me and I compare me to them, I shake in my boots too. Just like you do. Giants are scary. And if you hear me say they don't matter, they're inconsequential, that's not what I'm saying. But here's what I learned. When I'm looking at my giants and I'm scared and I remember this truth, when I remember the lesson that I learned from David and Goliath and I take my eyes off the giant and I set them on my Savior, guess what happens every single time? The giant shrinks. It always shrinks. It doesn't always go away. But the strength to endure living in a world where there are giants comes to me when I keep my eyes on Him. And sometimes I have to make that switch a hundred times a day. Sometimes I have to keep going back to Psalm 20. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. But for me, for Joe Cook, I'm going to trust in the Lord my God. And I have to keep switching my mind, switching my mind. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you'd say, Joe, I don't have the Savior. Well, I want to tell you about him. 2,000 years ago, the eternal Son of God came to earth and he lived the perfect life. And he willingly gave his life as a sacrifice for you and for me. And the reason he did that is because of a thing called sin that separates us from God. And he didn't want to be separated from us. When he was talking to the man Nicodemus, he said, he told Nicodemus, he said, this is, why, this is how God loves the world. He gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. If you've never called out to God and say, God, I believe in Jesus and I want to receive this gift of eternal life, I would beg you to do that because we're in a world full of giants and you need somebody on your side that's bigger than the giants. And Jesus wants to be that someone for you. Back in David's conversation, one of the things he said that is stuck in my mind is he said, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. David had already won the battle. He saw a loud-mouthed, puny little giant talking back to God and David's like, that guy doesn't know what he's doing. David knew the word. He knew the character of his God. He knew his calling. And he knew how to move forward. He, his victory was when he moved forward in faith. And that's the victory you and I can have. Each and every day, God finds some way to ask you, do you trust me? Today, let's say yes and be like David. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible-teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. You can also hear each week's message Sunday mornings on 89.5 FM KMOC. Listen to our podcast online anytime at gracechurch.com or find us in the Apple Podcast directory. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.